You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen, and you're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. In today's episode, I want to talk to you about gluten. And gluten is something that's been, um, you know, talked a lot about in the health industry, the food industry, the internet, you know, what have you. And it's kind of grown in popularity over the years, and for some good reasons and for some bad. Um, As a physician and in med school, you know, when I was in school, I remember it was basically not even talked about. You know, I remember a little paragraph in our textbook that talked about tropical sprue, you know, what was also termed celiac sprue. But that was it. You know, nobody really explained what celiac disease was, what the symptoms were. Um, So didn't really have any teaching of it or even understanding of it until I got sick. And it was about a decade or so ago. um, You know, me, normal health, everyday activity, eating normally, exercising, working, and then started to not feel well. Um, I started to have stomach pain and started to lose weight and was just exhausted. And I remember, you know, waking up and going to work and coming home and, you know, eating dinner and just crawling into bed. And, you know, this went on for weeks and months. I was losing weight and, you know, not feeling well. You know, what did I do? Uh, Well, I would wake up and have some toast or Cheerios and, you know, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and eat some crackers, um, all of which contained gluten. And uh, it was finally my wife, you know, who said, hey, you know, wake up, like something's wrong. You need to go see the doctor um, and and figure out what's going on. So, you know, I saw some of my colleagues that I worked with and, um, you know, with no medical history and no family history, um, nobody was really sure, you know, kind of ruled out uh, things like an ulcer and I took medicine for acid reflux and, you know, we did some studies that didn't show any masses or tumors and kept getting worse. Um, so lo and behold, um, they actually wound up doing a scope, uh, what's called an EGD. So they stuck a scope from above and it came out and basically said, you know, looked okay, you know, a little inflamed, but you know, no lesions or ulcers. And lo and behold, um, the pathology came back and he said, you know, Hey, most likely it actually looks like it could be celiac disease and made one of the big mistakes that I'm going to talk to you about today, which is, you know, continue on a gluten diet, but, you know, right away went on a 100% gluten-free diet. And lo and behold, within a couple days, I actually started feeling a little bit better. Um, And to be honest with you, you know, it took about two or three years before I really felt, you know, normal again. Um, But the mistake that I made is, you know, we went basically to a gluten-free diet and then later on saw a specialist and did blood tests. um, And that's really not the way to do it. Um, I had two episodes where, you know, by accident when we ate out, I was gluten and was horribly sick. I was one of those people that had, you know, symptoms for like two weeks, just like stomach, like flu and just couldn't get out of bed. So, you know, when the specialist said, Hey, one of the options is we can put you back on gluten for six or eight weeks and then retest you. 
you know, we kind of looked at each other and went, yeah, that's probably not a good option. Um, so um, never had the, the confirmatory um, antibody um, and IgA tests that would be typically done as, you know, one of the first line treatments nowadays to diagnose it, um, but was tested genetically and found out to contain the genetic markers for celiac disease um, and have been gluten-free ever since and have done fine. So that kind of lead up just lets you know why, even as an orthopedic surgeon, um, I'm pretty well versed when it comes to gluten. So so let's just talk about, you know, really who needs to be gluten-free. So people that have celiac disease, these are people that have to maintain a lifetime of avoiding gluten. Um, there is no other treatment currently. You know, you hear about these pills, you know, for gluten, and, and that may be okay for someone that's gluten-sensitive, um, but for someone that truly has celiac disease, currently the only treatment is to avoid gluten, period, end of story. Um, and it's important to understand, you know, the why, because, you know, one, some people may have symptoms, and we'll get into the symptoms, but it's hard because the symptoms are varied. They're not very cut and dry. Um, so they're not always the same in every individual, and that's what can make the diagnosis somewhat difficult to make. And what's even more dangerous is some people don't really have major symptoms, so they may not have pain, so they kind of feel, oh, I can cheat, I can eat, you know, I can have a beer, I can have the bread, I can have pizza, but what it's doing is destroying the gut lining. It may also increase your risk of cancers, um, so it is extremely important to avoid gluten at all costs, even if you don't feel like you have symptoms. Um, and it's important too that if you have, you know, a friend or significant other, a loved one or family member who does have celiac and thinks, oh, well, it's not that bad. Uh, this looks good. I'll eat this because I can cheat a little bit, you know, really be an advocate for the patient and make sure that they don't. And the way that we describe it, you know, because it's almost easier to say, hey, you know, I have an allergy to gluten. People understand that, you know, okay, I have to avoid it. It's not really an allergy. An allergic response is different. Um, this is an autoimmune disease. So what happens is that, you know, the gluten gets in your body and actually attacks um, a body in a negative way. But it's a lot more difficult to try to explain to a new friend or family member or at a restaurant, you know, oh, I have this autoimmune reaction to gluten. It's just easier. So you'll hear people commonly say, I have an allergy, but it's not truly an allergy. So if you have celiac disease, um, one of the first things that you should do if you think you have celiac disease or if your doctor thinks you have celiac disease is to do blood tests. Um, they typically do an IgA series of blood tests. You have to be eating gluten at the time of this test. And it gets a little complicated, but you're looking at different types of these blood tests to see are you deficient here and you, do you have antibodies here? And that can confirm if you do have celiac disease. The other thing that's commonly done is that you may also have a blood test that looks for these genetic markers, this HLA-DQ2 and HLA-DQ8. Um, so if you have those genetic markers, it doesn't mean that you have celiac disease. You know, So there are a lot of people that may have the gene and never get celiac disease. Um, so that other test looking at these antibodies can actually help confirm the disease with those symptoms. And the majority of these people are then are going to have these these um, genetic markers. Now, if you do have it, it's always recommended that your immediate, you know, relatives. So, like if if you have children, have your children checked. Um, you know, it's worthwhile having you know siblings checked if they have symptoms. If you have it, because it is genetic, it does run in families. Um, and this way, if someone doesn't have those genes, you know, they really 
probably don't have to worry about it. You know, the risk of developing it um, isn't there because they don't have that genetic component. Now, sometimes the diagnosis may be questionable, um, you know, and, and maybe you do have the gene, you know, maybe you do have symptoms, maybe the antibodies are questionable. That's where sometimes they'll do an intestinal biopsy so that this is a surgical procedure or procedure where they're sticking a scope down your throat into your stomach and then taking biopsies and they're looking for these specific things. So usually you have these little microscopic, what's called villi. Think of these little finger-like projections um, that help absorb nutrients. And what happens is these little finger-like projections get damaged. So they get flattened. And then um, it doesn't allow you to absorb certain things, which is why a lot of people with celiac disease may have nutritional deficiencies. And they'll also see an increased amount of these lymphocytes in the tissue. So these are things that the pathologist may look at under the biopsy that can help diagnose it. Um, And the other thing is sometimes your primary or dermatologist may see it. There's a a rash-like skin lesion called uh, dermatitis herpetiformis. And if you have that, you know, 100% of people with that have celiac disease. So those time, those people sometimes can just have a skin biopsy. You have this lesion, you take a biopsy of the skin lesion, you can, you know, diagnose DH and essentially say this person also has celiac disease. So, you know, most commonly people with celiac disease will have abdominal pain. You know, they'll have bloating, diarrhea, constipation. They can have weight loss. Um, this may occur over months. This may occur over years. But those are kind of the classic symptoms associated with that. But there's a lot of other symptoms, and not everybody has those abdominal complaints. So you may have this sort of unexplained anemia. You know, a lot of people have iron deficiency anemia. can't explain it. You know, they're just fatigued. They have depression. They have brain fog. Um, they start losing hair. They get a lot of mouth ulcers. And it was one of these things, thinking back as a kid, I remember always having these little ulcers in my mouth. Um, women commonly have miscarriages. You know, you see the fertility doctor, you know, Eggs are okay, fallopian tubes are okay, dad's check, sperm's fine, and you keep having these miscarriages. There's a lot of women that are actually diagnosed with celiac after having a number of miscarriages. In a child, delayed puberty, um, early onset osteoporosis, dental enamel defects, so you have lots of teeth problems and cavities, and different vitamin deficiencies. So these are all things that, you know, you start to put, you know, one and two and three of those complaints or conditions or symptoms together. And then you need a series of blood tests. But luckily, for a lot of people today, doctors are so much more aware of this. So you start coming in with these complaints, and it's really easy. They're going to say, hey, you know what? We're going to check you for celiac disease. And they'll send you off to the labs. But years ago, you know, a lot of these people were just kind of written off as, oh, it's ulcerative colitis. It's, you know, it's anxiety. It's, you know, it's this, it's that. And they kind of just wrote these things off as chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. So there are a lot of people... um, that really suffered from celiac disease just because they weren't diagnosed. So luckily nowadays, we have a lot more knowledge and a lot more understanding. And because of that, a lot more people are getting diagnosed and are on a gluten-free diet and living the rest of their lives just fine. So it's things to be aware of. But what if you don't have celiac disease? You know, what if you're sensitive to gluten? So there are a lot of people um, that have what's what's called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So they may have a lot of the same symptoms, the brain fog, the depression, you know, they even may have like this irritability. It's almost been kind of like an ADHD-like sort of behavior. They can have the abdominal pain, the, the bloating, the constipation. They may have the diarrhea. Uh, they may have headaches. And they recognize it always around eating gluten. And and still, no one's 100% sure. You know, there's some thoughts that it may have something to do with the food chain or the genetic 
uh, modifications that have occurred with the gluten in our diet and what we're eating. Um, but there are a lot of people that you test them and they test negative for celiac disease. They do not have the gene. They do not have the disease, but they're definitely sensitive to gluten. Um, and again, for those people, you know, the treatment is to avoid gluten. But luckily for those people, if they do cheat a little bit, um, they're not risking damage to their gut. They're not risking increased risks of cancer and things like that. Um, they may just have symptoms, you know, for as long as they have symptoms based on the amount of gluten that they eat. Um, so what is gluten? You know, people always ask, well, like, well, gluten, what do, you, what do you put gluten in? Um, so gluten is a protein and gluten, although most commonly found in wheat, um, it's also found in rye, it's found in barley, it's found in farro, it's found in spelt and malt. Um, and you have to be aware that that stuff is in a lot of things. You know, you think, okay, I got to avoid pasta and bread and cereals. But, you know, one of the most common things where you find wheat where you wouldn't necessarily think about it is in soy sauce. So for people that have to maintain a gluten-free diet, you know, we need plain soy, which is the tamari, um, but you can't have regular soy sauce because it has wheat in it. A lot of soups and sauces, you know, there's no bread there. Um, they didn't put pasta in it but they thickened it with a roux. So they used flour to create a thickening agent. You know, pick up a beer. You know, beer's a lot of times made with barley. Um, and a lot of fried foods, you know, you can even think that, oh, you know, we got, you know, cornmeal, but then you drop it in a fryer that has wheat in it from other things that they fried. And now you get this cross-contamination. Um, sometimes even pasta water, you know, they have places that you do have gluten-free pasta, but at the restaurant, they cook it in the pasta water with the wheat pasta. So you can have that cross-contamination. Even putting gluten-free bread in a toaster that had regular gluten bread in it, you can get cross-contamination. Um, so there's a whole lot of things that when you start to go gluten-free, you have to keep an eye on and be vigilant. You know, it's always this whole thing about, you know, if in doubt, leave it out. So you go out to restaurants um, and you, you go to a friend's house, and if you're not sure, you don't eat it. You know, you learn pretty quickly to bring food, you know, when you go out and always have a backup because you're not sure what's going to happen when you get there. Um, so what do you eat? Um, well, you know, the simple thing is you eat a whole food diet. The nice thing is you can eat vegetables. You can eat fruit. You can eat nuts. You know, all those things are all whole foods. Now, you do have to be careful because when you start to get into, you know, processed, you know, nuts and barrels and bags and things like that, you do have to kind of check, you know, was it made in a facility with wheat? Was it made in a line with wheat? Is there a risk of cross-contamination? Um, but for the most part, when you're talking about whole foods, you're okay. You know, if you like pasta, luckily there's a lot of options with pasta that don't contain gluten. So you can find pastas made with brown rice. You can find pastas made with chickpea. You can find pastas made with lentil and peas. Um, you can eat other sides, things like rice and quinoa. And what's also interesting is buckwheat is okay. And it's, um, you know, sometimes called kasha, um, but even the, it's actually a berry and the wheat part of it actually kind of confuses people. But you know, this, the buckwheat actually is, is a berry and you can cook it. It's got a great nutty flavor. It's a really good grain, very, very nutritious. Um, and you can kind of start to go through any fish meat products. If you're a meat eater, you know, all of those things. The nice thing is 
don't contain gluten. But when you get into processed stuff, so you start to get into things like sausage, um, you have to wonder like what did they mix with it or where was it mixed and what are the fillers? So you always have to be vigilant. But if you're talking about whole foods, you know, meat, poultry, chicken, fish, um, that is just the the product, you're okay. Fruits, vegetables, okay. Nuts, okay. Um, that becomes one simple way of eating. And I remember when I started, it was, you know, basically it was, uh, you know, in the mornings it was bananas and fruits and gluten-free toast and, uh, you know, a lot of nuts and a lot of fresh vegetables and a lot of rice and, and uh, you know, chicken, fish was basically kind of what I ate for a while to kind of keep things simple and allow my gut to heal. Um, then as you start to figure out, you're going to start to learn, oh, I, I can't eat this, I can't eat that, and I can kind of mix and match because there are some things that are, you know, that you have to be cautious about. So most commonly oats, right? There are some people that are sensitive to oats and you also have to find certified gluten-free oats because a lot of oats are processed on a similar line, similar, you know, factory, similar fields, and there's a high risk of cross-contamination. So you have to kind of keep an eye out for those. And also luckily nowadays, there's a lot more um, awareness of allergens and places now are required to list all of those allergens. So you can very commonly, you know, find things that are listed as certified gluten-free by specific organizations and they have specific, specific testing strategies. Um, and the good news, bad news is there's a lot of processed gluten-free foods. Now, the downside is that, you know, to make things bind um, like when you're making dough and you're making pizza and you're making bread, the, the reason it sticks is the gluten. I mean, that's what really holds those things together. So a lot of products without gluten, you're adding a lot more sugar. Um, so you tend to have these processed gluten-free foods, which is nice because you get cookies and you know crackers and things like that. And a lot of them actually um, do contain a lot of sugar. Um, and there's a lot of the starches that they use, a lot of mixed with tapioca starch and things like that to kind of help bind things together. Um, but it's not always the most nutritious. So that's why, you know, when people say, oh, I eat gluten-free because it's, it's healthier, um, it, it is and it isn't, right? So it's not necessarily that you need to not eat gluten to be healthy, but what happens is a lot of people decide to go gluten-free and what do they do? Well, they eat a whole food diet, right? So I'm going to be gluten-free. I don't have celiac disease. I think it's healthier. And I just stopped eating processed breads and I stopped eating processed cookies and I stopped eating processed car uh, uh, crackers and I stopped eating you know, a whole lot of extra pasta with a lot of carbs in it and I stopped drinking beer. And guess what? You eliminate all those things from your diet, gluten or no gluten, you're going to feel better because you're eating more whole foods you know, fruits and vegetables and nuts and, you know, animal proteins if you're an animal protein eater, but you're eating more whole foods and less processed foods. So currently there is pretty clear data that, you know, you don't necessarily have to go gluten-free. It's not really healthier and it's not even recommended for people, you know, unless you have celiac disease or non-gluten, you know, sensitivity. Um, but a lot of people do kind of buy off on that sort of gluten-free fad in the sense that they believe it's a healthier way of eating. But definitely eating a whole food diet is a healthier way of eating and avoiding processed foods, whether or not they contain high levels of sugar or gluten, um, is probably better for you and you're gonna feel better. Um, but for people that truly have celiac disease, the only treatment is lifelong avoidance of gluten-containing products. 
And that's really important to understand. So for people with celiac disease, there is not the option of cheating. You can't take some pill that's, you know, meant to, you know, reduce the gluten or break down the gluten. And now you can eat a gluten containing meal. Um, the only treatment currently for people with celiac disease is avoidance of gluten in all of their foods. Um, so that's a really important thing. So, you know, I hope this at least kind of helps you understand, um, sort of the differences between, you know, people that have decided to go, you know, on a gluten-free diet because they, you know, feel that it's the fat and it's healthier. But yes, eating a healthy diet and avoiding processed foods that contain gluten is healthier. Uh, but no one's really proven that you going gluten-free if you don't have celiac disease makes you healthier. Um, the difference between non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So these are people that are truly sensitive to gluten or something in that product, whether or not it's genetically modified or the protein, but do not have celiac disease. And they may have very similar symptoms. Um, and then the true patient with diagnosed celiac disease and the symptoms, again, very varied. But the important thing is if you believe that you have it, do not go gluten-free until you have the blood test. That is the way to test that. You know, Otherwise, your doctor may want you to go back on gluten and you may feel terrible um, to then get the blood test and then they may decide whether or not something more has to be done, like something invasive, like an upper endoscopy. Um, now, if you do have this, um, what I would strongly recommend is, you know, unless your doctor is very well versed, um, is find a specialist. You know, I was lucky enough where I am um, to find a GI specialist who is a subspecialist in celiac. And she was great um, because there are, especially in the beginning, a lot of questions that you have and a lot of information that you need. And they have to keep an eye on your nutritional, you know, va values and nutritional numbers to make sure that as your gut heals, that you're getting appropriate nutrition. You know, a lot of my numbers were low for a while. Um, and then, you know, once my gut healed and I eat a well-balanced diet, all that's fine now. But it's definitely something that you want someone who knows what to look for um, to make sure that your gut is healing and everything's getting better. Um and your primary may be great at that, but if not, you know, find a GI specialist and find someone local. The other thing, too, I'm going to put in the show notes is there's some really, really good um, resources online. You know, and I actually have actually slacked on it, but um, years ago, like when I first got diagnosed, I actually created a little um, blog. I'll throw that in the show notes, too. Um, I actually haven't updated it in a while, but actually for me, I created it because we were starting to buy products. Um, and I couldn't really always remember like which ones we liked and which ones we didn't. So it was really a resource for me of just to remind me and my family of when we went food shopping, like which products we liked and didn't like. Um, and then as we started traveling and finding restaurants, there was a lot of great information and I enjoyed cooking even before, you know, the diagnosis, I enjoyed cooking. So we started modifying um, the uh, the recipes to make them all gluten-free. So there's a lot of recipes in there. So I'll put that in the show notes, but yeah, I probably should update it at some point. Um, but also Alice Bast, who is a great resource um, out in Philadelphia. She has a, a website called beyondcelliac.org. Um, um, there is the website celiac.org, which has a lot of great information there. Um, there's also some really, really um, great uh Twitter feeds and and uh, resources and, and podcasts, um, great book authors that are out there too. Um, one of my favorites is um, uh, Peter Bronski, and they're huge pizza fans like we are. So he actually just came out not too long ago with a great book all about gluten free pizza. Um, also for people that like breads, um, there's actually a, a, a duo. Um, they do have a bunch of books on gluten containing breads, but they um, they also have a recipe, and now they actually have a whole 
uh, book out on gluten-free breads called Artisanal Bread in Five. I forget the exact title of the gluten one, um, but it's a great resource. If you enjoy baking bread at home and um, you need to do it in a gluten-free manner, they have some great resources. So I'll put all of that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, I hope that you find this information, you know, useful and helpful. Um, Gluten has been a big talked about, you know, thing for a number of years, but there's always been this mixed kind of understanding of the difference between gluten, gluten-free, celiac disease, non-gluten, um, or non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, I got really good firsthand knowledge. Um, so I hope, uh, you've found this helpful. Um, and it continues to stimulate you. If you know someone that really is struggling, um, especially if they have a new diagnosis of celiac or someone that just has, you know, sensitivity, you know, definitely forward this podcast on to them. Let them listen to this um, episode and find all these um, great resources that I'll put in the show notes. And in the meantime, stay safe. Um, I will uh, get back to you next week with some more information. Thanks for listening to Your Knee, Your Health. I'm Adam Rosen. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. I'm your host, Adam Rosen, and until next time, stay safe.